0: On Drive Live for the next hour it is your legal hour. It used to be understanding property. Ostensibly it is still property so if you have a property question feel free to text in if there is something that's bothering you with your rent contract. If there is something of an issue somewhere legally with where you live or where you want to live or where you're hoping perhaps to live. Get in touch on 4001 the free app you can text for no money on. Or you can talk to Ludmilla Yamanova directly, Four two three ten ten is the number. Call us uh, on that to get involved. We've got a number of things that I think we'll run through today. Miller, first of all, nice to see you. Welcome back.
1: Thank you very much. Good to be here.
0: Uh, good to have you in. We're going to get you on the latest uh, VAT update in a second. That's taking over this, the life of this hour on this program.
1: We are all becoming experts in I tell VAT. I you
0: what, it's like a <laughs> VAT oracle session. But the, last week, so busy and so many questions, understandably so many questions when it comes to uh, value-added tax. We'll talk to you. You've been at another briefing. Also, uh, charitable activities, I wanted to talk to you about that. Utility disconnection is illegal. If a landlord has uh, disconnected your utilities, that is uh, illegal. We'll run through that. And also, disputes with the uh, Rental Disputes Committee can only be um, advised by local advocates. We'll talk about why that is and what that means in a few moments. But let's start with uh, value-added tax. First of all, the update. You've been at another briefing. What have you learned
1: this week? Indeed. The uh, Ministry of Finance held another briefing last week on March 21st and uh So um, I attended it, and it was a full-on four hours of very detailed briefing on what's to come. Now, once again, just in the interest of fairness and disclosure, the law on VAT has not yet been uh, finalized and certainly has not been implemented. Um, Mm -hmm. However, there have been enough statements coming from the official authorities uh, which um, make it important to at least discuss the issue, and one of the statements that came from the representatives of the Ministry of Finance, because the briefing was held by the, the representatives from the Ministry of Finance was that what they are sharing in these briefings is more or less but 90% of that is 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 going to stay fixed and so this is why they're holding these briefings because that amount of information at this point they're pretty confident will remain unchanged and so it's the 10% that may vary so that's why even though as a lawyer I'm always cautious about commenting on anything that has not been passed into law yet but because of the level of discussions that is happening and the consistency of these briefings and statements such as the one I just said, it certainly is important to continue to talk about it. Also, because there are a few looming deadlines that are coming even before the implementation of the of the tax itself, which is um, scheduled to be January 2018, uh, that would be beneficial for the public to know. So one of uh, these deadlines, just without further ado, is that... A registration for all companies and businesses that will uh, that will be subject to VAT uh, will become uh, will, uh, will get discretionary or optional by q three two thousand seventeen. And by Q4 2017 which is October 2017 just a few months from now is actually mandatory so all those businesses that will qualify uh, or be subject to VAT are obligated to register uh, by October 2017 so as you can tell even though the law is not yet um, in print form the statements from the authorities are quite um, uh, quite um, uh, clear uh, that this is something the businesses that need to start gearing up to do well the registering with the authorities is is much it some sounds a lot more simple than it actually will be because it will affect you know registering with authorities one thing but actually having all the systems in place for businesses to be able to comply with the law once it, once it is implemented is is something else and this is why the authorities are holding these briefings and encouraging businesses and, and people to study and understand and start preparing themselves because the process of implementation will obviously uh, be will be a lengthy one mm. is it
2: Complicated to register as a business.
1: It should not be. It will be all online. It's yeah. been stated many, many times over and over again. It's all we are moving, the UAE moving, continuing to move in the direction of the e-government. e, uh, e government. Yeah. So everything will be done online. In fact, registration will be done online. Applications will be not done online. Submission of tax will be done online. Requests for refunds and credits will all be done online. However, uh, copies of all the files, uh, hard copies of the files, have to be kept for at least five years. Right. So. But it, yes, it, so it's not going to be complicated to register. But in terms of um, in terms of actually administering the process or the the, the law, it will be a much more nuanced uh, so sort of business pro- process. But there are some other spe- specific updates or clarifications that I'd like to mention uh, that may potentially vary from what we've said in the past. And that is one one uh, big change from what has been, I guess, discussed in the media is uh, regarding residential properties. So if you recall, there have been a number of announcements in the media that suggested that residential properties that that will be entering the market for the first time will be subject to VAT. In other words, all these off-plan properties, uh, once they are completed uh, after January 2018, they will be subject to the 5% VAT in addition to the 4% registration fee to the Land Department. Well, that has been uh, announced in the press through different uh, media sources. However, and that is not the case, according to the last briefing we attended, uh the Ministry clearly said that r- commercial properties will be subject to VAT, but residential property will not, and that includes both leases and sales. So as far as residential properties are concerned, even the off-plan properties, once they enter the market, they will not be subject uh, to the 5%. They all should be subject to the uh, 0% rate, which means that the developers will have the op- um, opportunity to offset um, that, um, uh, their VAT expense. And now, so that's, but commercial properties will, the leases and sales will continue to be subject to the 5%.
0: Okay, so that's uh, a good, I guess okay. that's music to a lot of people's ears. Lomila. Indeed,
1: so the other interesting update, uh, because last week we reported that uh, the news from the media were that uh, free zones were conclusively going to be subject to VAT, while as of last week, from uh, according to the ministry, that is still an issue that's under consideration. So we do not yet know whether free zones will be subject to VAT. Okay. Then uh, export businesses and goods and services will be subject to 0% tax, uh, Tax or VAT, which means, for example, as uh, le- le- if you uh, if you uh, trade goods or you sell goods into, let's say, Belgium, then those goods will not be subject. to, Well, actually, will be subject to the zero percent rate, which means that they're more or less exempt. Uh, similarly uh, for services um, let's use my practice again as an example so let's say if I provide services to a company a client who's based in the US even if it is about uh, uh, information or laws that relate to the UAE but if the service is provided for the company that is based in the US that particular service will be subject to a zero percent rate which means that that American company will not need to pay the Mm. five percent to me and then because there was a suggestion earlier that they would have to pay but then they will be able to reclaim a refund uh, well that's no longer the case so it's they will not have to, to go through a sort of reverse process so what's interesting also is because of that that means a lot of businesses that are, that are based in the UAE but are not necessarily dealing in the UAE will qualify uh, for refund because if you recall, we talked about input uh, VAT and output VAT. And input VAT is 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 the VAT that you pay as a business, just in running a business. Let's say for your rent or any supplies you buy, utilities, and so on and so forth. Uh, so. Uh, that um, uh, so th- that you're paying input VAT but you're not getting um, output VAT because all the work that you're doing is actually outside of the UAE therefore there's nothing for you to uh, uh, to sort of offset against mm. uh, so p- so what it means is that you've actually paid more because normally you, you subtract input VAT from output VAT and then you pay you just give to the government the margin but if you don't have output VAT because most of your business is outside of the UAE then you basically uh, you're Subtracting input VAT from zero. So in fact, that means there will be refunds. A lot of businesses that are not um, not dealing uh, with services or goods in the UAE, but the base here will qualify to get a refund from the government. Uh, so that's just another interesting update uh, another one is government and there was a question that came last uh, week whether well, the government authorities will be subject and the answer is yes they will so how they will decide they'll pr- this they're, they're working out on some kind of an internal maybe scheme of, of refunds and offsets but otherwise for example if you're a private company and you're dealing with a government company you will also need to collect the 5% VAT from them and how the government later decides to um, deal with that, um, that that that's just a matter for consider consideration still but the idea is and that's the answer to one of the our listeners question from last week that even government entities will be subject to the VAT we have time for more
0: uh, I'll tell you what we'll come uh, there how many more are there
1: There is a few more points.
0: We will come back to those. We'll run through uh, the five that you've mentioned there. We'll just recap those in a moment. The disclaimer we should mention again, however, Ludmilla is attending regular briefings with the Ministry of Finance. The last one was April the 21st, just last week. Correct, last Tuesday. Last Tuesday, okay. So what we're learning is what is highly likely to be in the law once that law is introduced January the 1st, 2018. Correct. Okay. That's the disclaimer. We're going to come back and talk more to Ludmilla Yamalava. It's the VAT update. It is fast becoming, I don't know, all-consuming here on this program. But also, if you would like to ask Ludmilla a question about VAT or about uh, a legal uh, issue, a dispute that you may have, some clarification that you might need to do with property or more widely uh, legally based, then get in touch, 423-1010-4001 or via the free app. This is Drive Live
1: on Dubai Eye point.
0: Drive Live, we're in our legal hour. Ludmilla Yamalava is here from Yamalava and Pleska. We are looking at the VAT update this week, which av- as ever is uh, all encompassing. Let me just run through what you learned at the last briefing you attended at the Ministry of Finance, uh, Ludmilla, very quickly. Uh, registration for that by Q4 is mandatory at the discretion of companies, organisations by Q3. That was the first point I Correct. think you made. Uh, the second point, residential properties, um, new properties, not subject to VAT. That's both leasing and sales. That's what you learned last week. There was speculation as to whether that would be the case or not. Uh, In free zones, application of VAT not yet known. Would it be fair to say that? Correct. And uh, number four, uh, if you export goods, you know, subject to a zero percent rate. If you offer similarly, if you offer services to outside of the UAE, you are effectively uh, also at a zero percent rate of VAT. That's right. Okay. And the last one, just uh, a moment ago, government authorities will be subject to that from uh, January the first, two thousand and eighteen. That's it so far. What else have you learned?
1: Well done. Thank you. Okay, uh, then. Um Uh, There will be, the the government right now is contemplating of introducing a clause in the law that will allow Ultimately certain contracts to be superseded by the law and this these are contracts that relate to for example the the payment of VAT Uh, This in particular will be relevant for long-term contracts Let's say you have you have a long-term contract for the next five or ten years and you do not have a clause in the agreement that uh, VAT obviously tax has to be paid by, by Whoever let's say the tenant and this is because there was no tax So there's a lot of speculation as to how these kind of issues will be handled and whether now in the case of landlords of commercial properties they will have to take the fall for the 5% and pay uh, pay that by themselves because it's not in their contract or whether there's going to be some sort of provision in the law. Well, there is no clear answer as to how it's going to be handled, but the government is aware of it, and they are contemplating introducing a clause in the law that ultimately will allow landlords, for example, parties that will be collecting the VAT to amend the contract unilaterally, if you will, by virtue of law. Now, the law requires, even though it doesn't state in the contract, the law requires that, let's say, the tenant pays that VAT, even if the contract does not specify it. So they're, they're contemplating introducing a clause like that and how it's going to be formed and, and to what kind of relationships or transactions are going to apply. We'll have to, we'll have to see. But also the authorities have been very clear that businesses need to start incorporating that clause or clause to that effect um, now because w- for any new contracts that it will be entered into after January 2018, uh, there will be that expectation that um, there is either that clause, other- otherwise the 5% will have to be paid off of the invoice. So let's say I invoice 100,000 uh, dirhams and I don't mention who carries the 5%. Then the government will assume that the 5% comes off that invoice of 100,000 dirhams unless there's a specific clause saying that the client will have to pay the additional 5% to the government as VAT.
0: Okay. Okay, and th- say you have a contract, that, uh, a five-year contract of uh, some nature that began in 2015. It runs through 2018 to 2020. Is this a retroactive uh, – Does it is it potentially a retrospective, sorry?
1: Uh, no, it test? will only be prospective, so it will only right. apply to the remainder, the balance of the contract as of January 18th. Okay. Uh, however, there is an interesting follow-up a question to that is, when do you determine that the tax is due because when you're talking about a continuous contract let's say a, a five year construction contract mm. where services are being performed on a continuous basis do you pay when you invoice do you pay when you get paid or do you pay when you complete the service and so and e- any one of these three factors will be used depending on the circumstances but well, but usually it's whichever one is sooner so let's say if you've already completed the services but you haven't invoiced it yet then the tax is already due at the completion of services or if you have invoice but you have not really received the services. You could also be um, the tax could be due at that point in time. So, it's um, it's it's going to be an interesting. We'll see. Obviously, that the process will be detailed further once the laws is available or in the guidelines. Uh, but that is one space to watch because it will affect a lot of businesses that are in these continuous contracts, and there are many of them. Because as a business, as you can recall, you can imagine your invoice sometimes for services which you have not performed yet, and these services are, can be performed 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 on an ongoing basis and when do you pay? Do you pay when the services have been performed? 50%, 30%, 100%? So it this is something that, from even a legal standpoint, very interesting, and and we'll just space need, the need. We need to watch and update as more details become available.
0: Okay, six update points so far. Any more before we go to the news? Uh,
1: yes, um, there were there are more. So charities and non-profits, and in fact, there was uh, some a listener sent a question to that effect.
0: Well, as Udit. texted in earlier, a not-for-profits and trade associations uh, subject to VAT?
1: Will not be. So okay. VAT is only is only applicable to uh, to businesses. Nothing for not. not not for profit. Um, okay. the other update is that there's also the authorities are still examining the issue of um, startups and how startups will be affected by VAT. Uh, an issue we're still looking into for the further details, but just a mental note. That's that's something another issue to just watch. Uh, financial services. Most financial services, including Islamic finance, will be subject to VAT and Just to contextualize it, for example, there were a lot of uh, there were questions in the past from listeners about repatriation of money, whether that will be subject to tax or VAT Remember this is not an income tax it 's just a value added tax and so what that means is so let 's say if I send back one hundred thousand dirhams to home. I, will not, I do not have to pay tax on, the, on that amount, but I do need to pay VAT on the fee or the cost that it costs me to actually transfer the money. So let's say I need to pay 50 dirhams or 100 dirhams to the various agencies in between for me to actually facilitate that transfer of money. So there, there will be VAT applicable to that fee or the cost of doing business.
0: And that you imagine will be the 5% that's been mooted uh, regularly.
1: Yes. Okay. And same thing with healthcare and all insurances; they will also be subject to the additional VAT. Just okay. with the transfer of money, would that be for
2: any amount of transfer when you're doing that? Yes, yeah. any,
1: and that also includes, for example, any kind of banking facility. So, yeah. let's say your credit card. So, if there is a fixed, if there is no fixed fee, then there will not be VAT because you don't, but you know, you don't know what to charge VAT on. But if there is a fixed fee, for example, having a credit card will cost you a, a thousand dirhams, just for the argument's sake, uh, a year. So yeah. there will be a VAT on that 100 uh, or 1,000 dirhams a year.
0: Okay, we're going to leave it there for the moment. Talking VAT with Amelia Malibat from Imalibat and Plethco. It's your legal hour. We've got questions to come to, topics that we want to cover, but if there's something you're concerned about, text us in 4001 or via the free app. No matter your preferred communication, stay in touch with Drive Live only on Dubai Eye. Understanding VAT should uh, be the new name of this segment. Understanding Property. On Drive Live. It was previously Understanding Property. Ludmilla Yamalava is here from Yamalava and Plethka, and we've been running through VAT, essentially because Ludmilla is attending briefings at the Ministry of Finance to find out more ahead of the introduction of VAT proper. January the 1st, 2018, we're learning an awful lot. This may not be the final word, but it's worth reporting what is being said as uh, companies are being encouraged to prepare for the introduction of value-added tax. I put in the disclaimer for you, Ludmilla.
1: Thank you very much. you you're getting quite good at it. Any
0: time. <laughs> I, mean, I can hire you. <laughs> yeah, thanks very much. To write I disclaimers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to pay tax. Is, is, is that a job in your company? Because it's, I don't know, just
1: created one. It's You're plausible. so good at it.
0: <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, Nitin texted a number of times on the program today. I just thought I'd put this to you. I'm an Arsenal fan, but I don't like Venga. What do you think, Ludmilla? <laughs> oh, sorry. Wrong text. wrong text. Wrong person to ask, too. <laughs> uh, no, here's the one for you. First one on understanding property today. Do landlords who have properties in Silicon Oasis have... Have to follow RERA guidelines with respect to allowable increases? Chaddy is asking that.
1: Absolutely, yes. All properties, free zones and non free or freehold rather, and non freehold in Dubai are subject to the same rental law and the same RERA index. Yes. Okay. And we've got another. Until lo- further notice, because the law is being amended by many accounts. The, the rental law that is in Dubai and apparently there will be a difference in terms of locations and types of property and uh, various attributes that attach to each property but that is still in draft form
0: and could that be looking at you know the age of properties the amenities in the area or that we hold different number of
1: decisions? and that's the idea right, yes okay. exactly because right now the, the way the laws dr- the rental law is drafted in Dubai and remember this is this only applies to Dubai but the way it's drafted there is no difference between residential versus commercial so the same laws in terms of uh, rent increase and the notice period period uh, apply to residential and commercial and uh, obviously authorities are finding that that may be not representative anymore of um, of, of the market and it would benefit the market to have the, lo- the, the those kind of properties to be treated differently so that is one change that is happening and then the other one and this has been reported in the news before that uh, the rear index is going to be much more nuanced and it will look at uh, more uh, uh, smaller areas of uh, properties around Dubai versus let's say all of DMCC or mm-hmm of the marina all of the palm they will become much more granular in terms of the types of uh, the locations and also the types of projects and properties such as you know, including view for example if you can have the same identical unit but one has view and the, the other one does not you can tell that the value should be quite different mm. and so the, I, the hope is and the word in the street is that these kind of nuances these sort of facilities will be uh, will be considered in, um, in in this new rent index
0: Okay, so a lot of people would welcome that. Is it, do you, can you see a time, or is the word on the street, as you uh, put it, pointing towards you know houses or villas over a certain age would be? Absolutely,
1: age, right. the the quality of the building, the quality of the maintenance, uh, the history of the building, and if view, uh, size of the property, and so on and so forth. Yeah, so apparently all those factors. Let's face it, there are
2: some buildings on Shakeside Road, residential be it, and compared to... Um, Uh, you know, like Arabian Ranches per se, that there there would be quite vast differences, I would think. Oh, man,
0: enormous differences.
2: We Uh, had another text message in. I signed a rental contract after the 1st of March this year, 2017. However, it was not the new Ijari Unified Contract. Can I request that the lease be signed with the new format? Also, I live in a new development and the landlord hasn't provided me with the title deed or other document to register Ijari. What can I do about this?
1: Well in fact yes number 1 you should request the the new ijari lease because that is now mandatory and with regards to the documents that the landlord has not provided you, absolutely you must request those and, and insist on receiving them because, as you rightfully pointed out, until you have them, you're not going to be able to register them. That being said, if you've already been in the property and you're in the property and the landlord, you have, you're in communication with the landlord, at least you can have the assurance that, that the property is somehow related and, and managed by the person you're dealing with, but this could only be just a matter of time. So in the long run, let's say if there is a dispute or something happens in, 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 um, in some time from now, for you to bring a case to the RDC or Rental Dispute Committee, you will be required to have a NJARI registered contract. And so, and to do that as you said, you need um, uh, the title deed and all the other uh, supporting documents. So yes, you should insist but be prepared that this may be an uh, on, on ongoing um, ba- battle because in practice a lot of landlords are reluctant to provide that kind of information, which they should not be. But as a general rule, while we're on this question I would like to, um, to remind listeners, and, and as, as a piece of advice that always whenever you enter into any kind of contract any sort of transaction always request for supporting documentation don't assume that the person you're talking to actually is the actual landlord always first request a copy of that uh, of the title deed and make sure the title deed is um, is is relevant or is new and or the person who claims that they represent a landlord they have official capacity or authority to actually represent that landlord because there are a lot of cases where people are managing properties for somebody else where they don't actually have official authority to do so and then whenever a dispute happens there is it's it's very easy to get out of the obligation to do one thing or another if you're actually acting in the representation of somebody who did not have official authority and you didn't ask for it.
0: Okay, let's talk to Nasir, who is on line two. Nasir, uh, you've got Lord Miller at your beckon. Uh, well, at your whim here, I suppose. What would you like to ask?
3: Okay, thank you very much. Uh, please, um, good evening. Uh, please, my question was um, regarding to uh, my mom. She bought a property uh, back in uh, two thousand, which was an off plan, and she had she had the two. This thing I've been following up for a very long time, which is it's a council project basically. So, and um, I've been following up with the court. It's now been transferred to the court, just of recent. And um, I went to the court and they said um, there's some judge, um, judge, some committee are sitting to it to decide, um, to decide the case. Mm-hmm. And I, I need to check it online to see, um, they, they're going to put the names on Excel sheet online to see if my mom's name is mentioned there would be what the correct amount that she's paid. Because she's paid 95% of of the whole entire um, project of the what of the project, so i was just wondering what will be i don't know because they said that it's a final decision whatever comes to the committee is final so i was just wondering what will be um like what should i be expecting like as it comes i don't know if will, they, will i be getting the 95 percent or how will they base it on i don't know how many people is on the project that's requesting for it because still it's not yet been uploaded the Excel she did not have me uploaded on the website. They said I still need to wait and give it some time. Okay. So I am just trying to see how I can go about okay, it. Okay,
0: so, Nasir. So you're waiting for your, your mother's name to appear there to see what you're going to get. Let's ask Melissa to see if she can shed any light.
1: Sure, uh, Nasir. Let me ask you for a question. Has your mother actually submitted documents to the court, to this uh, cancellation committee, uh, supporting her claim?
3: Not yet. I think when I went there, the lady told me I have to wait. Uh, there's going to be another sitting in the target of April. I should wait for it, the Excel sheet to be uploaded. If the name is there, still submit the documents. And if the name is not there, uh, if I, if a I name is not in the list of the Excel sheets and the amount, I should still make it submit and say, OK, the list, what has been submitted on the website, is correct or not correct. I should submit it, but I have not submitted anything
1: yet. Sure. I would recommend that you start preparing to submit something because uh, in in some ways, logically, this Excel spreadsheet can only be populated with accurate data if actually claimants launch their claims and, and provide the courts with the supporting documents. That's how this process works. So for the court to okay. know, for, for the court to identify who the claimants are, they actually need <coughs> these claimants to come forward and submit the documents and supporting documents. Uh, supporting their claim. So only then, at least from experience, only then the courts put together this Excel spreadsheet that you're talking about listing out who the claimants are and the amount that they have provided proof uh, that they've paid to the developer. So that's how it normally works. So therefore I would encourage that one way or the other, maybe for this particular project the the sequence is a little bit different, but one way or the other you need to prepare the, to submit the documents and um, and in particular, what the courts always ask for is actually proofs or copies of payche- uh, st- uh, st- checks or invoices or receipts, account, yeah. Yeah, or receipts okay. from the developer showing that, in fact, that they received that amount. Because what often happens, you mentioned the amount of 95%, but often happens yeah. with a lot of investors that they've actually a part of that they paid as a premium to, let's say, a real estate broker or, uh, or a secondary uh, seller or whoever. So those, any kind of payments that are paid towards the premium, are not considered as part of the claim with regards to these canceled projects because what uh, canceled committee projects do or canceled projects committee do, they only look at the claims related to the developer directly. In other words, payments that you made directly to the developer. So let's say out of if out of 95%, part of it was paid to somebody other than the developer, then you need to prepare that that amount will not be included in the full account. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's... So so, number one, yeah. prepare to submit the mm-hmm. documents. Number two, just manage your expectations in terms of what will be uh, cl- uh, what will qualify for claiming back. And number three, and more importantly, you asked the question about what you should be expecting in terms of the actual payout. It very much depends on the circumstances of this particular project and the developer. and that is in relevant terms, uh, the value of the assets that that um, that is under under the control of um, of that developer and now, therefore, the cancellation project committee. Uh, so so n- number one is the value of the assets, and number two, the value of the claimant uh, or the creditors. So let's say if the project was the land or what have you has been sold for 100, 000, 100 million dirhams, but uh, there are claims for 150 million dirhams, you can imagine there will be a, you know, a prorata Uh, Payment to all the investors. So, and and in terms of what you can expect at this point, you will not really know, because most of the time, courts waits to get all the claims in before they can even provide you with some sort of uh, idea as to. What what value for money you you're going to receive? But expecting 100% return is a little unrealistic. So just manage your expectations. But it's also not uh, it's not necessarily true that all claimants or all investors who've invested in the project are, have actually lodged their claims. And this is why the courts usually ask for. Investors to come forward and to be proactive to launch their requests with the courts, versus just sit there and wait on the sidelines for the court to do the job. So it may be that, let's say, there were 100 investors, only 50 of the investors submitted their claims, and the court will only divvy up the claims based on the ones that have been submitted. So really, cannot tell you how much you can expect, but those are some of the factors to keep in mind.
0: Do whatever you can. See, appreciate you calling. All the best to you and also to your mother as well, who's uh, actually. All right. Thanks for calling. That's uh, Nasir on the line. If you have a question for Ludmilly, you're welcome to get in touch. 4001 on the app. We can uh, put those questions to her for you, or you can talk to her directly on 423-1010. Understanding Properties, our legal hour. Another 10 minutes till 6. We want to hear from you.
1: Find us on Facebook.
0: Tweet at DubaiI1038FM. It's Understanding Property, our legal hour. We've got just a few more minutes. We're going to run through some of the texts that have come in. Let's start with a question in. Serena, been living in Dubai in a central AC building.
2: Yep, they're paying a higher rent because it's central AC, been there since five years and now since one year the landlord outsourced the chiller to an outside agency and started billing flats with extra based on billing that the outsourced company bills. Is this legal?
1: In short, no, because that would be amending the unilateral amendment of contract. So unless you've agreed to it, the same terms and conditions that applied to the previous five years of your contract would apply. Okay. That's very questions. short here now. Uh, yeah, I know,
0: right? I, I know. Fire. Actually, now I'm confused. Uh, not-for-profits trade associations aren't subject to VAT. We were talking VAT earlier on because you're getting so many uh, regular updates. Rick has texted in since that and says, Will VAT be applied to school fees? And if so, what if the school is a not-for-profit school?
1: Education sector will be, will be subject to 0% VAT. Right. Therefore, you'll not have to pay to VAT. However, certain parts of education sector, for example, certain books uh, that are not necessarily sold inside the school and the details on that are still becoming sort of, uh, being drafted but certain education related services and goods will uh, may be subject to VAT if they're not dealt or, or sold through directly by schools
0: okay Susan texts in as well what about second hand items clothes cars jewellery any word on VAT there
1: so VAT applies to businesses uh, and unless you're in the business of selling used goods or secondhand goods, uh, then there will not be VAT al- applicable.
0: Okay. It does affect financial services. We know that. Dave text in. What about reinsurance conducted from within Dubai International Financial Center? Uh,
1: the free zones are still under consideration. Uh, so, but presuming, presuming that um, they will be subject to VAT, then reinsurance services, because their financial services will, uh, should be subject to VAT, just like other financial services.
0: Okay. And final VAT question today. I don't know if you can answer this through in. Hi, I have a query. Would a private laboratory service be eligible to pay?
1: It's a great question. Medical uh, sector will also be exempt. Certain aspects of medical sector, so for example, anything that's necessary, uh, such as uh, a surgery to save life, obviously (laughs) will be necessary. But plastic surgery, and that was example used by the officials at the briefing, will not be uh, will not be subject to the zero percent. It will be subject Mm -hmm. to the standard five percent rate. So in terms of uh, lab, lab, it's it, it depends on how the government will view this particular lab, whether it's necessary or not. So we don't have the details yet, but but there's certainly there's an uh, there's a possibility that it will be subject to zero or lower uh, tax because it is part of the medical sector
2: this one and if the tenant doesn't respond to emails calls and keeps buying time for check payments what is the easiest way to collect the funds i don't want to leave the property unoccupied o- and the same time delay payments add a lot of stress are there any collection companies we can use
1: uh, no there are no collection companies the easiest way if you have a check is just to cash the check and if you do not have any checks then the easiest way and i know this does not sound easy but is to file a, a, a claim with their rd with rdc the run dispute committee and those other than that there is no other way of doing it unless the, the tenant moves out voluntarily
0: i love it when this goes to a quick fire <laughs> at the end ludmilla. i don't know whether you do because taking a breath is hard but let's very quickly go to the phones for one last question adam's on the line in dispute with a developer adam we've only got about a minute i'm not sure if it's going to be enough but here's ludmilla for you put your question uh to her if you would
3: hi um so i bought property uh, from a developer here in dubai a few months ago Mm -hmm. Um, the reservation form the booking form said 1550 square feet all been signed by the directors, the ceo and by myself i got the SPA, through it come through saying 1140 square feet and it'd be a q2 finish whereas it was q1 finish previously okay is there anything i can do legally
1: uh, you know, it's a very um, it's a very typical scenario, and unfortunately, it's not going to be an easy one. In general, yes, you can. Uh, I mean, you have a claim if uh, contract breach, for example, if you signed any documents or believed that you en- or entered into an agreement on the basis that the property was one size, and when the SBA came, it was something else. Uh, so, it's going to be a matter of proof uh, for you to prove to the court that there was an amendment of terms, and therefore there sh- uh, was a breach of contract. But I don't know if it will justify in your case, because uh, really, you need to look at it more in practical terms in terms of you know, what's the margin of difference you're talking about because for you to 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 claim your investment back is probably not going to be an easy task. The developer historically does not just give money back because you don't like the terms of the SBA uh, over the reservation form, and so it most likely you'll have to go to court. And so obviously going to court costs money and and time. Uh, so therefore you'll have to decide from the practical standpoint whether it's worth it. But otherwise, you just my my recommendation is just to negotiate with the developer. But in you know, this is, as let me <laughs> allow me to make a general comment to all those who are. Planning to buy just be very careful when you are buying at, uh, when you're buying property and how the size of the property is uh, defined because there are a lot of properties that are that are um, that are sold on gross not net and in gross it is still a very subjective matter often developers include even garage part of the garage and balconies and part of the lifts and hallways into that gross and so the net actually often ends up much less than um, what investors expect so just read the details before you you, you give money and so it's possible your reservation form did not mention that but if it was pretty clear then you have a very good legal argument
0: Adam, I hope like that helps was you.
3: pretty clear, yeah it did, uh, thank you very much, and they were pretty clear that the gross area was 1550, and even the SPA, the gross area is 1040, there's over a 400 square feet difference, right?
1: Sure. Yeah. Then, it sounds like you have a, a good legal argument. So, but unfortunately, unless the developer uh, voluntarily works out some sort of a settlement with you, you the only recourse will be going to go to court to reclaim your investment.
0: Adam, good to have had you on. That's all the time we got. Unfortunately, okay. appreciate you calling. Okay, that's Understanding Property for today. Ludmilla Malova is from Yalova and Plethka Legal Associates. Always good to see you. Appreciate you coming in. Thank you.
1: Always great to be here. Thank you.